I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is author Sandy Greenberg, and he's going to talk about his new memoir, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, How Daring Dreams and Unyielding Friendship Turned One Man's Blindness into Extraordinary Vision for Life. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I saw your book cover and I thought, wow, a forward by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's amazing. Have you known each other for a while now? Yes, since uh, 1980. That's fantastic. Um, Yeah, she has been an amazing friend and neighbor. Uh, We had some friends who lived there prior to uh, Ruth and Marty's moving in. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, you must meet these new people. They're wonderful. So Marty, Ruth's husband, and the justice invited us for dinner. And we became fast friends and have remained that for 40 years. What a gift. You bet. What a gift. Beautiful. So tell me uh, a little bit of, about you growing up. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Okay. I know that area a little bit. I went to Syracuse. Oh, yes. I know. I've been in Syracuse many times. Yes. I don't miss the snow. Just a side note. (laughs) (laughs) Ditto. Oh, wow. It's ferocious. Um, What were some of your interests growing up, Sandy? I uh, lived in a benighted part of the city and uh, rather... Uh, poor circumstances and while the house we lived in was flimsy I had four strong pillars in my life who made my journey and those pillars who were my my uh, father Albert escaped from Nazi Germany when in in 1939 uh, penniless he was. He became a tailor and was a pretty good one. Uh, one day, he sat me down and suspended a stick of gum over my head, and while dropping it, said that the stick of gum came from heaven. Uh-huh. And though those sweet memories vanished all too soon because he died when I was five, mm. his death devastated me. Some uh-huh. years, he left my mother Sarah with $54 to raise three children under the age of five. She, she went and asked the social service agency if they could help her out. And she, they said they would be delighted to help out so long as she separated her three children into three separate orphanages. Oh, no. My mother would never tolerate that. She, uh, she was not really much taken to laughing. So when she did laugh, it was extremely pleasing. Mm. She was reserved and quiet, thoughtful, deliberate. And as the Sabras say, tough on the outside, sweet on the inside. And most important, she had the skin for grimness, which followed her throughout her life. Wow. She, many years later, she married my father, Carl, who was a junk dealer. He was 
stronger and more powerful more powerful than me in all ways mm. he uh he was really just made of iron one day a disgruntled employee hurled a brick at him oh my goodness and catching him in the eye and requiring a prosthetic it uh was a foreshadowing of what was to come uh, because my grandmother Pauline was born in Poland at age eight. She was hit by a sp broken spring from a cradle when she was babysitting and ah. the spring hit her in the eye and she too needed a prosthetic just like my father Carl. So to me, it all seems an obscene irony. It does. But that's, but that's life. And uh, she she was something special. It was almost too tough to be close to her because you felt you weren't worthy of it. When, when she hugged you, you felt anointed and you mm. left you left stronger and more powerful. Her her death her death took something sacred from me and left behind something sacred too. Those were my four pillars that enabled me to endure the very lean years that we experienced. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. I, I had moments when you were speaking and I had chills. Well, uh, it's, we're here to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Did you have any signs that, or when were your early signs that something was wrong with your eyesight? Uh, when I was pitching in a baseball game after my sophomore year in college, I pitched and suddenly my eyes became cloudy and steamy. Mm. And I stumbled to the sidelines and dropped to the ground. That was the first sign that led to a diagnosis of allergic conjunctivitis. Unfortunately, that was a misdiagnosis, and the doctor gave me topical steroids over many months, which enabled me or caused me to go blind. 2020 in September, and a few months later, zero, zero. Oh, my gosh. Oh, from the medicine. Yes, from the topical steroids. Long-term use of topical steroids can induce glaucoma. What could they have done? I think at that time, they actually could have given me other medicines. There were two others they could have used. Mm -hmm. and, if that, and if that didn't work, they could have performed a trabeculectomy, which is drilling a hole into the eye so that the fluid can flow around internally without the kind of pressure that it was exerted by, on the optic nerve by glaucoma. I see. Sounds so young for somebody to have glaucoma. That's what they said too when I went to see the doctor. People don't get glaucoma at 19, Sandy, mm -hmm. usually after 40. Yeah. So it was a distinction I would rather be without. Of course. So here you were at Columbia. Yes. You had a scholarship. Yes. 
And you tragically go blind during your junior year. Yes, ma'am. What happened next? <sighs> so many things. But if you want a cursory answer, mm -hmm. I worked very hard. I had incredible support from my girlfriend, now my wife, Aww. and my two my yeah, it's been a hell of a long ride. That's why in the end, if you knew my whole story, you would understand why I consider myself the luckiest man in the world. In fact, at the end of Hello Darkness, my old friend, I hope readers will understand why I consider myself so. In any event, uh, Art Garfunkel and Jerry Spire, my two roommates, helped me through that senior year. Uh, Art would read to me regularly, and uh, we would have plenty of time to sing in previous years, but at the end of the day, we I had no time because I had to study virtually around the clock in order to get through. But he did everything in the world that could be done to help me, walking me to class, walking me around the city, bandaging my shins, fixing my tape recorder. Uh, and so made it possible. Following you on the it. train, by the way, right? I'm sorry. Yeah. Following yeah. Yeah. But yeah. without my knowing it, of course. Yes. Yeah. You were a junior. You met Art Garfunkel. He became your roommate. No. When I was a freshman, oh. I, met, I met Art Garfunkel. And what attracted me to him, we became close friends early in our freshman year. And one day, we were in a humanities class together, and he, as we stepped out after class, he said, Sanford, look at that patch of grass over there. I mean, really look at it. As I did, staring at it as best I could, he said, look, look how the light illuminates the beauty and complexities of its colors. I knew at that instant that something of great importance was being offered me. I, of course, did not know how great it was. And we became roommates. That's extraordinary. He, yeah, he, he seemed determined. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. It, you're, he seemed you're determined to keep you in school. Yes, he did. He was, uh, when I finished my surgery in Detroit and was home in Buffalo, uh, despondent, he flew in and told me that I had to come back to school. I asked him to look at my condition, that I was finished, ruined, no future for me. Sue and he talked to me incessantly, but in the end, as Arthur and I were walking down my street, he said, look, we made a pact in our freshman year before we roomed together that if one was in trouble, the other would come to his aid, regardless of his circumstances. And uh, he said, well, Sanford, you have to come back because this is that time. I said, no, it is not that time. This doesn't count. And he said, 
look, I don't think you get it. I do get it, I said. He said, well, let's put it this way. You're my best friend, aren't you? Oh. And I said, yes. And he said, well, it's really not that you have to come back to school for yourself, although I believe you should. Uh, it's that I need you there. This is what we agreed to before we roomed together. Oh, it's beautiful. Yep. You had no other choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I had a choice. The social workers of New York State told me that I could, I had three choices, make screwdrivers, cane chairs, or become a justice of the peace in the hinterlands of New York. Mm. Incredible. Now, I want to mention to the listeners, you not only graduate Phi Beta Kappa as class president, but you go on to receive a PhD from Harvard, an MBA from Columbia, a Marshall Scholarship to Oxford, and a White House Fellowship. Extraordinary. Fortunate, I say. Humble. <laughs> Luck. No, just lucky. Well... You worked hard. I mean, that just doesn't come easy. Yeah, I, I did work hard, but I'll tell you one thing. Without the support of my then wife when I went to graduate school, because we got married right before I entered graduate school, and the help of Arthur and Jerry and so many others, I would never have made it through. People would come and read to me and spend time and give me encouragement and support. And it meant everything. Sure. So, as I mentioned earlier, my show is called Get the Funk Out, and you were definitely in a huge funk. Oh, my God. Yep, I sure was. Mm. But, but Sue and Arthur helped me get out of that funk. Yeah. At what point did you tell him you were going to write this book? And here you have a title based on, it's not even related. It's not related to a song because the song no, came out later. Not. Right. Yes. The, the, when Arthur would read to me uh, at night, usually when others fail to show up, he would walk in and say, Sanford, darkness is going to read to you today. Or Sanford, darkness is going to read the Iliad. And I suppose he meant that for me, his voice was emerging from the darkness. But that's how that's how the title came about. Hello, darkness, which was Arthur. My old friend, which is Arthur. It's perfect. Now you have uh, an invention. One of your inventions is the compressed speech machine. Could you talk about that? I'd be happy to. During my senior year. Uh, as I mentioned, I was blind throughout the year and relied on readers and a tape recorder that I taped my classes and readers taped books for me. And it was a reel-to-reel tape recorder, uh, which you may not uh, have an experience with, but you have to listen to these two magnetic reels uh, spew out information at 150 words a minute, which is about the rate I'm speaking at now, but it certainly was nowhere near what sighted students could read at. 
And so I said, well, why not invent a machine that would enable people to listen as fast as they can read? And that's when I invented the compressed speech machine. Mm. And you are now chairman of the Board of Governors of the John Hopkins University's uh, Wilmer I Institute. And Correct. You're, going to, you're going to award $3 million through your End Blindness 2020 campaign to the person or group who yes. makes the greatest stride toward, it's towards ending blindness. That is correct. That is December, wonderful. De- December 14th. Mm. Well, that was a, it'd been a commitment I made to the Almighty. I promised while I was lying uh, in a despairing hospital bed in Detroit in 61, and I said, uh, I promised him that I would do everything I could for the rest of my life to make sure that no one else should go blind. And took decades of science to get to a point where in the early part of this century, I thought it might be worth now seek to get commitments from the most brilliant minds of this generation to harness their intellectual horsepower to focus on ending blindness. It's not uh, a soft word. It's simply end blindness. Yes. Mm. Sounds like you, between all your friends and your wife, you have this incredible sense of resilience. Well, I... I would say, uh, I go back to, can, uh, let, let me try and explain what underlies that. Okay. And I want to go to Albert Einstein, who once wrote, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the most fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of true art and science. Whoever does not know it can no longer wonder, can no longer marvel, is as good as dead. Mm. And those people... And and that's, of course, what I do every day. I live on the banks of the Potomac, a couple doors down from Justice Ginsburg. And uh, I wake up and look at the river, and I actually say a prayer that goes like this. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us in life, sustaining us, and enabling us to reach this glorious moment and those who can no longer wonder can no longer marvel they miss the magic of daily life the the gargantuan magnificent essence the beauty and the joy that can be uncovered within all things we encounter on a daily basis for example walking with your loved one on vacation or as is true in my case standing on the banks of the Potomac, waiting for something extraordinary to happen. Mm. And it always does. 
optimism right there. Yep. Plus you have a lot of gratitude. Oh, how could I not? Yeah. How, how could I believe that I did this on my own? That would be absurd. Sure. Uh, all of all these people over the decades have given me a wider field of grace than perhaps I deserve. But it is because of them that I'm able to be here talking with you today. And at what point did you decide, Sandy, that you were going to put your story on paper? That's an excellent question. It's a little circuitous, but after I graduated college and went up to graduate school, having experienced for the previous two years the loss of my eyesight, it was in me at that time, the second day of graduate school, when I sat down on my Smith Corona typewriter and typed 40 pages talking about the experience of the past couple of years going blind. And then I put those 40 pages aside for 40 years, which of course gave me much time for introspection. And when I was ready, I sat down and wrote it. It's, it's so interesting how a, sometimes a really good story needs time to just settle and, <laughs> and grow. I guess, I guess I'm slow, half a century to get here. That's okay. Better late than never. (laughs) That's true. Any key things you would like to just highlight for the listeners about your book without giving too much away? Well, I think the, what my book speaks to is the inestimable value of love, family, friends, the importance of role models and mentors. And here's maybe one of the most important, the importance of dreaming big, or as my former friend, Jack Kemp, quarterback and then congressman, said to me one day when I asked him, what's the essence of your success? And he turned to me for a few seconds, paused and said, throw deep Mm. and I have lived by that yes you have yeah then uh, I would say that please remember that tragic events don't necessarily have tragic outcomes and frankly if a junk dealer's son from Buffalo can make it than anyone can. Mm. That's wonderful. Where can people find out more about you and your book, Sandy? Uh, Go to SanfordGreenberg.com. You will read all about Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, and many other things about my background and my ideas. Fantastic. And I put all your information on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I love it. It's a great name. Thank you so much. And I got a laugh out of you, so that's good. Thanks. Take care.
This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure.